This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. to the Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Heeps. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Heeps, and we are here for another great episode as we become better habitat managers. Guys, thanks for coming back. I have a special guest today. I have my dad on, Greg Van Heese from West Michigan, and we're going to go over my buck hunt. So I shot a nice 130-class, 8-point, 9-point split G2 there um, last weekend, and we're going to go over the story, the details, tell you how it all went down. It's a little crazy. Um, first, we're going to talk about you know, a little history in the past, how my dad and I both got into hunting when we were young. Um, we're going to go into episode 149.5, if you haven't listened to that with Jim Lombardi, the October Indicators episode. We're going to talk about a lot of the triggers there that that made me get in the woods um, for this game plan style episode. So it worked out. I shot that buck Sunday night, October 17th, and um, everything worked out just like we thought it would. And uh, very blessed and, and can't wait to kind of break this hunt down, if you will, with you guys. So I want to thank you. Hopefully your season is going well. Uh, this past weekend, October, uh, what was it, 24th or, or whatever that was, that seemed pretty good too for weather. I know a lot of guys were dropping deer. And now we're in now we're in the best time right here, right around Halloween. So I expect you all to continue to, to see some great activity um, and and hopefully that's, that's what you're seeing. If not, maybe we need to make some changes, uh, you know, on your property. So, you know, I got a text this morning from Ty down in, in Kentucky. One of the 
first couple land plans we did, his daughter shot a giant buck on it last night. So, you know, this habitat stuff pays off. And as you'll hear in this episode, once some of the changes that we make in these land plans um, on your property, once they start to mature and grow up and come into full effect, the deer really start to use them. I have multiple bucks on my property that I would shoot after the one I, I harvested, which we're talking about today. So uh, I attribute that a lot to, to pressure and, and the habitat and the plan coming together uh, with time. So if you're interested and when you want to have us take a look with you at your property, reach out to us. There's a link below in the show notes for the land plans or go to habitatpodcast.com slash land plans. We are booking a bunch of them for 2022 right now. We're already into uh, February of 2022, um, if not late February. So if you are interested, let us know, and we can get you on the list of clients. Now, I want to thank a couple of our partners. First off, I want to thank Realtree United Country, Land Pro, Lake States Realty, and Auction. Chad Thalen, we've had him on here many times. Very knowledgeable guy. But what I wanted to talk about, you can use Chad as a buyer's agent if you're looking to buy property. So I know there are not a ton of listings for sale out there, but I'm signed up and I'm actually getting a few listings in my email here in Michigan that look decent, more so than earlier this year. So I don't know if the market's, you know, a couple more people are getting ready to list or or they're making moves, but I've been eyeballing some properties and I think that, uh, that if you're looking, you know, having Chad in your back pocket as a knowledgeable guy for, you know, some do's and some don'ts, what the property pros and cons may have, uh, it'll behoove you. I think, um, you know, Brian and I can help out with that sort of stuff too based on what we know. Uh, Chad's been doing it a long time, and uh, if you're interested, go to our website. The homepage, his logo is there, Realtree United Country Land Pro, Lake States Realty and Auction, and, uh, you know, give Chad a call. He'd be happy to help you out. I'd also like to thank Morse Nursery. Now, a lot of us Habitat nerds like myself, um, we're already getting our orders together for Morse for the spring. Uh, My friend Brad, we got his order going. Um, I am now a Morse dealer, so I can offer some special things that uh, have not been available in the past. So if you're looking for a tree order, you know, hit me up on Facebook Go down to our show notes in the podcast that you're listening to right now. There should be a link for the email, info at habitatpodcast.com. I can help you out there, get you some pricing, and uh, continue to put these great morse trees in the ground. Now, there's limited quantity on certain grafted, certain two-year-old trees, certain mast-bearing trees, because um, they fell out. So if you're interested, let me know. I know right now we're looking at a bunch of pears, apples, uh, persimmon for uh, for a few clients right now. So if you're interested, you can go to morrisonnursery.com, see every tree and price on there, and then let me know what you're looking for, and I can get you a quote, and uh, we can have them directly shipped to your location. Guys, I'd also like to thank Killer Food Plots, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Exodus Trail Cameras, the squirrel at nutplanter.com, Packer, Max, Cult Packers, and Afflictor Broadheads. I really want to thank everybody who's left us a great review. 
my wife and I are tag teaming the decals and sending them out. We really appreciate it. Just continue to uh, to, to leave them, and we'll continue to send free decals to the listeners. Put your name in there if you can. We'll find you on Facebook or whatever, and uh, or we just message us your your address. Um, that's it for now. We got a, quite a quite a good episode here, telling the Buck story, and um, just really thanks for for listening. And we will be back next week with another episode as we become better habitat managers. Let's get into it with my old man Greg Van Heath. All right, guys, we are back. It is late October, and uh, another episode of the Habitat Podcast here for you. We are fired up. It is um, about a week after I shot my beautiful Michigan Nine Point, and we're going to tell the story here tonight. I have a special guest on, one that you guys have never heard from before, uh, unless you're on the Habitat chat group, um, the one and only Greg Van Heath, my father, the old man. I don't usually call him that, but what's going on, Dad? How you doing? Hey, I'm just... uh kind of getting over the heebie-jeebies about getting on this podcast with you, but I'm pretty excited about it. Um, it's ready to roll, you know, let's get into it. I'm, I'm down here chilling in the basement hole, and uh, I asked Mom not to bother me for a while, and, you know, just want to get, get in and have a good conversation with you like we do when we get together, you know. Yeah, yeah, we definitely don't have a problem yapping when we hang out, and we're just coming off of a Another great weekend where everybody was in the woods bow hunting, who probably listens to the podcast, but you and I went out to Carson's Island, Michigan, duck hunting. We have that annual duck camp with our our other family member, my father-in-law, Paul, and, and the boys out there, and we did pretty well, I'd say. What do you think? I'll tell you what, it was kind of one for the record books. You know, you'd never think on the balmy bluebird days that we had down there kind of going in that, you know, we would have any kind of success at all down there. You know, number one, ducks aren't moving, no flight birds. You have the local birds, and, you know, they get they kind of wise up uh, relatively soon. And then you really don't have a whole lot of enthusiasm to get out there because, you know, just like bow hunting, when you're – it's not feeling like fall, you know. So you kind of go through the motions and – and you go for the draw at 5.30 in the morning or 11.30 for an afternoon hunt. And there's a lot of things that play into that. You know, you have to get a good draw. You have to get a good area. You have to have some good guys to hunt with. And, you know, it all kind of comes together. So if any of those pieces are missing, your odds kind of go down very quickly. And fortunately for us, you know, kind of uh, kind of came together just for the heck of it. You know, it came together for us. Yeah, and, and we've been doing that for, I think this is my 15th year down there. We spend one week of the year going down there for kind of like our duck camp, like I said. And, and I think we ended up with, uh, you know, we ended up with a couple ducks here, eight ducks here. In terms of in terms of each year, I'm talking back in the past. I think I think our best year down there we've shot maybe a dozen, maybe 15, something like that. Um, this year we ended up with, uh, Ron and Sean told me we're at 33 ducks total. So... Wow. Not, not bad. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I mean, we shot we shot mallard. Let's just forget the sex. We shot mallards, 
Black Ducks, Pintails, Woody's Teal, uh, Ringneck, a Shoveler. I feel like I'm missing one. Um, but either way, six or seven variety of duck when there's no ducks even down there yet because it's early to mid-October and we've had no, you know, not that much cold weather. We need a lot more colder weather for longer to push those birds down from, you know, the north. So Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I, I think one, one thing that may have kind of helped this year was the fact that, you know, third third week of October, it's usually when start you know the weather starts to get a little bit uh, dicey out there and cold, and you're really not thinking about going duck hunting necessarily if you're a de- if you're a deer hunter. You know, it's kind of like what am I doing here kind of thing. But you know, it it works out. It was a great time, great time down there. Oh, what yeah. was really kind of fun too is that. You know, this year I went to pick Jared up. Somebody smacked the back of his uh, his Jeep here a few weeks ago, and he asked me if I could drive. And I said, okay, I'll bring the old truck down, and we loaded up the boat. And this is on um, Thursday so, night. Thursday night. So Friday morning we're heading out to go to the island, and Jared got a text from one of his buddies, one of his neighbors up the road. And and they had been talking to each other the last few days about all the deer activity, deer movement, things like that. And it's like, oh, gosh, dang, man, I've almost, you know, hit a deer like once or twice a day for the last week or so. What is going on? And Jared said, uh, he texted him back and said, don't worry, it'll happen, you know. So, you know, joking. <laughs> so anyway, just before we head out the door, what do you know? Jared gets a text from our buddy Adam, and Adam says, Yep, you jinxed me, man. I just nailed one right, right at the end of your road here, and uh, he was kind of upset about it, you know. So, so anyway, we kind of packed up, and we're, we're raring to go. We got about a two-hour drive or so from Jared's to Harson's Island, and thought we'd stop and take a look at this deer. It was a very young deer. Didn't have spots, but size-wise, it was a very young deer. And so we stopped and looked at it, looked at it, and. Uh, was pretty much a broken leg, and it was done. It wouldn't beat up too bad. It wasn't run over. So kind of looked at each other, and Jared said, well, you know, maybe we should grab this thing. You know, this is this is an opportunity here. And, well, we're kind of pressed for time, Dad, so, or Jared, so let's just, let's just go. So we drove, I don't know, 20 feet away and backed up again and looked at it and reassessed the situation and, no, nah, let's get, let's go. So drove all the way down to the corner, about 100 yards. And then we looked at each other and smiled, and I put it in reverse, and we backed up all the way, grabbed it, took care of it, gutted it out, loaded it in the boat, Jared tagged it, and that started our uh, started our weekend. So very interesting start, but you never know. With our group, it's not the first time that that has happened. So... Um, <laughs> And it made for one of the best, best meals that we had down there. Awesome stuff. Yeah, I'll have to throw a picture of uh, of that poor little fawn that got nailed this year and uh, how we had it hanging off the bow of the duck boat as I was butchering it and quartering it and getting all it taken care of. And um, it was funny that the police officer, which was interesting, said, um, I told Adam, I'm like, hey, ask for a salvage tag. Tell him to tag it or ask if we can grab it. 
And he goes, I don't care what you do. I, I don't know if we do salvage tags anymore. And if it's not here when I get back, feel free. Well, I, I mean, that's great and all, but you get pulled over by a different officer somewhere else and there's no tag on it, you know, you're in trouble. So I spent, I took the $20 hunting doe tag I had in my pocket and tagged the deer and um, ended up, we had uh, some veal, if you will, over the, I think Saturday night we ate the backstrap, have some good night. That was tasty. Yes. Uh, so that with shooting 33 ducks and drinking about, I don't know, probably 33 beers. We had a good time. So it was a very nice time. But enough of, enough about duck hunting. Let's get into some some uh, some background on you. We always like to talk about our guests, and uh, you know, surprisingly, I haven't had you on here yet. I had to wait till episode 151 before I I let you on here. Apparently, so shame on me. But um, well, you know, you you have to keep your guard up, you know, and and. <laughs> I don't know if the number that you had in the back of your mind started at episode 100. Okay, we'll go 100, and then we'll maybe introduce him, or 150, or if this never plays, you know, it might end up being 200. So we'll see what happens. True. um, My backstory. Yeah, I want to hear your backstory, where you're from, where you grew up, how would you get into hunting, and and then, you know, know, then maybe how would you get me into hunting sort of thing, and then we'll get into the, the big buck story next. Got it, got it. Well, I was born in Grand Haven, Michigan, as was Jared. I'm 62 years old, and I've lived here most of my life. We've moved away on occasion. My dad was in sales, so we moved to Indianapolis for a while, Muncie for a while, moved to Gross Point Park for a while, but for, for the most part, everything happened here in Grand Haven. Well, my hunting kind of came around when I was young, before I could even get a license, I was interested in hunting and trapping and whatever, you know, so you'd go try to set muskrat traps down by the river, not knowing what you're doing, but just, you know, trying to glamorize things. You'd carry 22s around into places you probably shouldn't and shoot squirrels and um, always had an interest. And it wasn't until I was about 12, because they really didn't have a youth program or anything available, that I actually took a hunter safety course and kind of got everything updated. But um, my good friend, John, who I worked with as a young man, kind of gave me an opportunity to get into hunting with him a little bit. And his deer camp and his, you know, small game hunting weekends. And and that ended up evolving into hunting out west with him a few times, like maybe 10. And wild boar hunting several times and, and hitting some of the, you know, different preserves. All archery hunts for the most part, except for the first one. Uh, really kind of got me, you know, really excited and ingrained in that sport so as I got older um, and got married and had a family I had a son named Jared who's my firstborn he's got a brother Drew and a sister Audra Um, kind of would tag along a little bit with me but you know things were not as liberal back then you couldn't necessarily 
you didn't have the youth opportunities you have today. So, you know, it was kind of a little bit less common, you know, to bring a young, young kid out there. But, um, you know, I always taught them as a young, at a young age and I was in sales and I'm still in sales all my life is if you don't ask, you don't get, you know, don't ever quit asking. If you don't ask, you don't get. So ask until you get what you want. Well, that was fine, except I hear that from his mother all the time because the kids would never shut up. They would never quit asking, and this went on for a long time. So anyway, it finally got to a point where Jared was able to take hunter safety and actually be able to buy a license. So went to the Rod and Gun Club where they held the the, the you know the the testing and all that stuff and. Went through it all, and it was, I gotta believe, uh, probably like the first week in October. That's typically when our hunting seasons start for the most part here. And, uh, got through the class, and we got finished up probably about two in the afternoon, two thirty, passed his test, and so we're leaving. Well, that kind of prompted Jared to say, well, you know, it was time to go get a license and time to go hunting. I said, eh, I don't know, Jay. I said, you know, it's 75 degrees out. It's bright bluebird day. It's sunny. Um, probably wouldn't be a very good opportunity today to do that. But I guess, you know, let's, let's go to the store. We'll get your license. We'll get you set up. So went ahead and got the license anyway. Well, it didn't end there. We actually had to go out hunting. So... It's like four, probably four o'clock in the afternoon, and and we have an opportunity. We have a hunting zone in Grand Haven on the Grand River, um, kind of on just on the edge of town. So we ended up heading out there, and you can park and you can walk out there, and you can cross what we call the Cow Bridge and get onto the island out there and hunt the Grand River. So I basically, you know. Put my camel hat on Drew and got him some some camel clothes to wear and or excuse me on Jared and got him some camel clothes to wear and uh, he had a youth 870 shotgun that I'd bought and so he got all loaded up and ready to go and we're kind of headed headed down the trail there down towards the river and I just said okay let's slow down let's just think about something here. So just be cautious as you're heading down there, down the trail here. You never know what can happen at any time. Always be ready. Always be ready to shoot. Always be on guard and take your time and stay focused. So he's all really focused, and I'm just kind of, you know, laid back, walking behind him a little bit. And It's about a 100-yard walk down to the river. And as we're getting close, again, I just reminded him, just be ready. You never know. So we get down there, and what do you know? We jump a couple mallards right off the bat. Jared pulls up, shoots and kills the first one, and I hollered at him, stop, which he did. So we went to see what he had shot. He goes, you know, why couldn't I shoot? I said, well, you, you killed the first one, and you could only shoot one hen mallard in Michigan at that time and the bird that you shot would need to go identify that so we went down there and found the bird dead as dead as could be picked it up and what do you know it was an 
immature drake that just had the green stuff to come in its head. Very identifiable bird. Jared's first duck. And that was his first opportunity. And that kind of took it all and, and changed him, I think, uh, kind of forever. Uh, so with that, we hunted the rest of the day. Nothing else. You know, nothing else happened. Like I say, it was a pretty, pretty balmy day, and um, went home. And of course, did all the photo op type stuff, which is really cool. But, but that's what started it for Jared Van Hees. <laughs> yeah, and on the same day, Hunter Safety ended. So thank you for, uh, for you know, d- taking me along and and um, you know not going home and and just hanging out. So that, yeah, that's I mean that's. I don't know. I don't know what you did, but you created a monster because I'm, I'm fully obsessed now. So <laughs> I that's that that was fun. I still remember it like it was yesterday. It was a long time ago. Um, but I mean, I think uh, it was it was cool that we got to go out there and do that. We've duck hunted and deer hunted hundreds of times since then. So it's awesome. Appreciate you telling that story. Yeah, that was. Uh that was a great day. Yep. Yep. Many more to come for sure. For sure. Now you were, I want to hear a little bit real quick before we get into, um, kind of the, the backstory on the big buck. Um, you have always listened to the podcast from day one, like a great father would. And I've always been a champion of the podcast and the brand and everything, which I truly appreciate. And you, you're always you always say like, "Man, we didn't have any of this back when I was, you know, deer hunting younger with Grandpa John, who you mentioned, and or whom you mentioned, and, and everything else." Um, tell me a little bit about about that. Like, how did you guys used to hunt and and the cabin in Baldwin, Michigan, and and that real quick before we dive into the story. Yeah, sure. Yeah, Grandpa John always had a deer camp. He was nine miles west of Baldwin, a little bit south of Wahala, by car settlement, you know. And uh, it was kind of a a really big annual event. You know, November 15th is the opener here. And depending upon which day of the week, you know, the 15th was, Let's say, for example, it opened on a Saturday, which is really a big day. Everyone that hunted was pretty much loaded up, packed up in their cars, heading up north. And you could not hardly get on the highway to head up north because there was car after car, truck after truck. You know, you get the guys heading to the UP, get the guys all heading to their deer camps. And it was a mass exodus, and it's crazy. You know, with technology today, you know, people kind of do their own thing a little bit because you can work remote and that type of thing. But back then, it was a big event. Um, so anyway, you know, it's kind of one of those things you talked about it, you know, a month ahead of time. And, and maybe you bow hunted a little bit too, but the the gun season, the rifle season, was really the, the, the big deal. And uh, so what was kind of interesting whether you're bow hunting or gun hunting up there, is that we'd go up to up to his cabin, and basically it was a cement block cabin, one big room, had a little, little bump-out bedroom on the back. And you get four, five, six guys up there, 
and you'd hunt your three or four days, you know, and uh, Grandpa would always make the breakfast. He'd be up at 5 or 5.30, and half the people in the room smoked, and we'd play cards at night. And so, you know, when you start getting into the, like, the scent control conversations and discussions, I mean, if you didn't <laughs> smell like a slab of bacon and a cigarette in the morning going out the door, um, you weren't living, you know, and maybe some beer on your breath. So, you know, that part of it was never even considered. And then we, we had our certain spots that we wanted to hunt, and so we'd all head off. You know, some of us would be, two or three of us would head in one direction, two or three in the other, and we'd walk the main trail to a certain point and then split off and go our, you know, our own direction. And then, uh, you know, kind of come back in the same way we went out. You know, and and you weren't going out stealthily. You're you're walking out, and the big question always was, again, you know, what's gonna what's gonna get the deer moving? What's gonna keep the deer moving? So, you know, if it opened on a, a Saturday or a Sunday or maybe even a Friday, yeah, I mean, there's gonna be hunters in the woods. There's gonna be you know people kicking deer around, and you're gonna have a good opportunity. Yeah, that, that has some merit. That has merit. It, it has merit. It has merit. And then if it opened on a Monday or Tuesday, you'd sit around and complain because you really weren't seeing a whole lot necessarily. I mean, after day one, those deer, they knew what was going on, but we didn't. Um, so you'd go, well, you know, maybe when the weekend rolls around, we get the, the big crowds back out in the out in the woods here, they'll get the deer kicking and going and moving, and, you know, opportunity will be better. So nothing went into any type of planning. I mean, you might get up there the weekend before or two weekends before, and you're up there cutting your shooting lanes and you're building your big blinds, you know, and, and you, know, you cut half the forest down, just making sure you had a shooting lane in every direction. It looked ridiculous from the standpoint of, you know, what it looked like originally by the time we got done with it. And you have four or five guys doing that. Uh, it was pretty crazy. And at that time, too, you could not hunt out of a tree. You had to hunt on the ground. Oh, so really? Bow hunting and gun hunting, you had to hunt on the ground. And eventually it got to a point where probably three or four years later you could actually hunt out of a tree. And then, uh, you know, you had some permanent stands that we put up there. Then you had... Excuse me. You tried to you, you tried to uh, save some money, and maybe build your own climber, your own hanging stand, you know, from stuff you'd pick up at the hardware store. But uh, so that that part of it kind of changed too. But it's just you know the, the conversations that we had had nothing to do with anything that we talk about and consider today. So you know when I'm hearing these stories and I'm hearing uh, you know, you guys talk about what you consider and how in depth all of this is. It's just it's crazy funny. And uh, you know, I know if Grandpa was alive today, it blows his mind. You know, it's just who'd have thought? And I'm sure that there's a lot of people, most of them, that probably still think that same way. Okay. Well, yeah, and and it's not to you know talk down upon anybody who who does that. I mean, we've done that and. <laughs> Many times right. at our at our rifle camps too, where you have a late night and early morning, and maybe your sun control is out the window or, or whatever. But it's just, 
I always found it interesting when you would come over for the weekend and we, cause you don't live near me right now and we'd yap about the podcast and, and it was just kind of cool to see like, dude, we used to walk through the bedding areas. We used to walk through the thickets to get to our spot when, and now I'm realizing maybe I should stay out of it or, or what, whatever it was. It's just cool to just kind of hear, you know, as the information becomes more easily available, how people progress and, I'm sure you and and there's others like you who are going, yeah, we did that exact same thing. And and me, Jared, I was one of them. You know, when you and I first started hunting, we didn't do any of this stuff. So it's just kind of cool to see how things progress and and go back in time and listen to some of those stories. So Yeah, you know, and, and even the fact that you're hunting in the same stand every day, long as you can you know you're a real trooper if you didn't come in at all and you stayed out there and you know if that you thought that would improve your odds again guys come in for lunch they're gonna move some deer you know so um yeah it's it's it was a it was a different time that is for sure that's a fact well i appreciate you going into that i I guess let's keep moving here and i want to i want to talk about the big buck next the nine point i shot last weekend um like getting into it we we started by and i said this on the last episode with jeff Danker. we started by doing that episode 149.5 yes Um, yes that's a that's a great segue from where i just finished it's the antithesis of my experience hunting you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, tell me what what did you think when you heard that episode? Because I mean, me and Jim were, or Jim and I were sitting there talking. Corey was supposed to be on that. It was kind of Corey's idea to throw that episode together. Right. Like, hey, we should we should talk about some things for this weekend, and and so we did. And, and I I thought, yeah, I'm I got plenty to talk about. Um, so what was your thought on listening to Jim there? Well, you know, I listened to that particular podcast three times, kind of in a row. I'm on the road a lot, and it was a short one, you know. Yeah, so short one. It was good, and and that kind of, you know, I, I'm saying, gosh, I recognize Jim Lombardi's voice. I know, I, I I know, I listened to the original podcast. So I went back to '90, and I listened to '90, and that was. I think that was like an hour and 45 minute podcast. That was a long one. But the guy has so much knowledge and I was kind of comparing what he was saying and kind of rolling it forward to 149 and a half, what he was saying again. And, you know, you guys had a great conversation. I mean, you were getting into, you know, indicators and that, you know, that's kind of, I think, that might have been the term or the word that you use. Like, yeah, October indicators. That was it. You know, what, right. what you know? What are some of the indicators? And and so you know, I'm listening to that. And you know, I know you have a little bit of history on your property, but not a ton. And so I I, I think what it kind of came down to was taking whatever information you had as little as you had or as much as you had kind of throwing it out there on the table, you know, and just saying, Hey, you know, what's, what's relevant here? What's relevant now that was relevant last year, two years ago, or three years ago, 
you know, what kind of uh, intel have I picked up from talking to my neighbors? What kind of intel do I have as far as moon phases and dates and times and weather? And what kind of camera intel have I picked up? Maybe I had two cameras out five years ago, and now I have six cameras out. You know, how many days was I going out there? Um, you know, I had no habitat out there. I remember the big park setting, you know, back in your eight acres of woods, whatever that was back there. It was kind of yeah. flooded at the time. And... You know, that's another thing I go back on. I, I I used to find some spots in the woods that were just beautiful like that. You go, you know what? I can see a long ways. It's beautiful. I can hear them coming. I'm gonna sit back here. This is a very nice park. But anyway, you know, we put some we put some platform stands up out there and got carried away by mosquitoes. And you know, you had it. You had the forester come in and and you know, you kind of dictated what you needed to have happen out there and. And, and, and you put a lot of thought and effort into kind of where that was going to, you know, basically saying to your forester, okay, this is this may be ideal for the average person, but for what I want to accomplish, we need to change this thing up a little bit, you know, and, and kind of put your own spin on what you wanted to have happen and what you wanted left there. And so you did all that, and then you had um, – you know, different different varying degrees of, of rain to help you, you know, with your, some of your food plots and, and, and things that you're planting. And I think along that whole time, you also were kind of learning from, you know, some of the people out there, the Nick Percy's of the world, from the standpoint of what can I plant here that's going to grow and, and, you know, how should I do it and how do I need to do it and, you know, maybe you started out dragging a disc around or a bed spring or something, trying to turn the ground up, and 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 you do it so different now. You know, back then it was just let's put some food out there for them. You know, and now it's excess. It's you know getting out of there. It's playing the wind. It's putting your stands in the right location. It's take, taking all that information and and trying to put it on a spreadsheet, if you will, in your mind and and, and figure something out. And what was, I was really impressed with the fact that, you know, you were starting to pattern this stuff. And, you know, we're kind of talking about it a little bit. And you had said something about, gosh, you know, I, I've got history. There's something about this weekend coming up here. i got some history here. And, and, you know, I should maybe talk about that because I, I this is kind of when the deer show up. And... I don't see them all year long. I don't see them typically after December. They're they're really not here. And it's just that pre-rut activity is kind of when they start to show up. So so who knows what. So I just thought it was really cool that you kind of knew the day that you had to be out there, that you wanted to be out there because, you know, something's going to happen. And, and what do you know, you know? Yeah, well, and what's interesting is it's usually a nice weekend – like direct middle of October, I shot that buck on, I believe it was the 17th, yeah, 17th evening. And normally, like last year, Katie and I, my wife and the kids, we were camping, you know. And the year before that, I think we were at duck camp or, or whatever. Like normally, it's not quite 
go, go, go time yet, at least because I had young kids and trying to trying to balance all that and not not piss her off too bad right off the bat at least. So that you know, but but this year I'm like I wrote on the calendar, I'm like, don't plan anything. We're I'm I'm going hunting and that's that and uh you know, I I ended up, you know, in that episode we talked about just stuff that we knew and even Jimmy's like, It's a little early unless you got deer daylighting on camera and then my thought was, Well I wanna be there when they daylight on camera. Because I already know from the past that it's, it's any time now, um, and, and they're not there. Like you said, they're not there from December till October, mid-October. I don't know why. It's just the food's a mile away. Like the main, you know, corn and beans and all that's way up there. We're in some low ground. Kind of once the pressure gets going, they come back there. But it was it was that. It was the fact that there was a cold weekend coming. Um, that's always a great indicator and. For those who haven't listened, uh, 149.5 is is um, pretty much all the reasons I went hunting that weekend. And, I mean, Saturday Saturday night, which was the 16th, <clears throat> was a lot colder than Sunday night. And I sat a stand that was my, my main mock scrape that was, it was hit maybe five, six days before that at night by a good buck. By that same buck I shot. Um, I also had the neighbor's dogs on it like three nights before I hunted. So, you know, the whole small property thing. But it was enough to where I was like, all right, well, I'm going to give it a shot. You know, I know plenty of guys who wait till late October to even step on their property. I've done that in the past. It's worked out great for me. But I decided to get a little more aggressive. I had the history. I had the cold front, the rain, it rained for two days, the rain was ending Friday night or, or Saturday early morning before light, and um, and then, the, I mean, I didn't know it at the time, but after hunting over the weekend, the moon, we had a moon that was rising while it was still light out, and that's usually a good indicator. We're going to get somebody on, uh, I believe my friend Kurt is going to come out, we're going to talk about some lunar stuff, but... It just it was too much to ignore for another year. Right, you know, right. I, I was like, I I'm going. Like <clears throat> I need to my biggest goal, like I said back on the goals podcast, was to check the box of a Michigan buck on my property. Um and, and you know, I, another one. So it's been a few years. I don't I don't shoot them every year in Michigan. I'm I'm a little picky, but like I, I like to shoot three year olds if I can and and uh we had some nice two-year-olds and whatnot running around, but my thought was, if I, I'd, I'd really like to do that more than anything, more than go to Ohio and shoot one, more than go to Illinois and shoot one. Like, those are, that's very fun stuff too, but nothing better. And, and sure enough, Saturday night, um, the cold weather, it was nice. My wind was a little bit out of the south, more so than um, the apps were all saying, which kind of got me in trouble, so I thought. Um, it was an epic night. I saw 17 deer Saturday night. I saw young bucks bumping and chasing does around. I saw fawns, you know, running around like little kids like they do or whatever, you know. Um, I passed three or four nice does in my mock scrape. I passed two little bucks in my mock scrape. 
And right at last light on Saturday, the 16th, I was like, all right, now, now's when they're going to come out. Because early, you know, mid-October, they're not going to walk out at 3 p.m., in my opinion. So, uh, at least on my property. So, I was like, all right, it's going to be last light or bust. And sure enough, I heard this tree getting raked. And I think that's the tree that we found broken in half um, Monday yeah. morning. Right, yep. Because, I mean, I heard that, and it was not very much wind. And then I saw that big-bodied deer walk out across um, kind of the edge of the food plot, but it's still way back in the canary grass. And then I no cameras of him, no nothing that night. But so Sunday, it was getting pretty warm. I hunted in the morning in a different spot. Um, kind of had a, a long morning, and it was like six a high of like sixty three, sixty four degrees. And Katie's like, "Hey, you know, you you want to go on the boat tonight? Or you want to hang out with the kids? And it's nice out." And I'm like, it's starting to lean that way, you know, because last night it didn't happen. But and then I talked to you, and you're like. You're going out tonight, right? I'm like, yeah, well, I mean, that's the plan. I'm, you know, it's pretty nice out. You're like, get down there, man. I'm like, all right, yeah, I'm going. Well, well, I know you had you had talked about maybe going to Fowlerville instead of going down to. Yeah, my other spot, my doe spot. I was going to whack a big doe, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I, I said, you're crazy. I said, all that activity you're seeing down there, all the intel you have, and, you know, one of the hard parts, difficult parts, too, you got to kind of pick your battles, not the fact that you're going hunting at all that weekend. I mean, you already, you know, you knew you were going hunting because you set it up quite some time ago based on your intel that regardless of waiting to see what the weather does, this is where I think I need to be. But then, you know, kind of changing it up at the very end, they're going, well, maybe I Fowlerville, I can probably get to a little quicker and maybe get a boat ride in and do this and do that and, you know, whatever it was. But, yeah, I, I just wanted to kind of kind of reinforce that with you a little bit and say, that's, gosh, man, that's where I'd be, you know, that's where I would go. That's where I would go. So. Yeah. No, you're right. It was, a, you know, Sunday night and hour and 15 minutes from my house, but I got in the car or the Jeep, drove down, had a... Uh, the four-wheeler on the back, I'm thinking, well, I'm going to make something happen if I can. You know, it's, it's last night was great. Tonight should be maybe a little slower due to the warmer weather. It's probably 12, 15 degrees higher. But I went back in where I saw that buck come out. I went another 50 yards in further because I couldn't see. I can't see very far back in there. I, my property's growing up quite a bit from when I first bought it. And, and mowed down the whole thing for a food plot. So I went into where I thought he was coming out, and uh, I cut this, this – I trimmed some branches for this tree last year for my saddle. I was like, all right, well, that's prep for a saddle. I can slide up there and, and shoot this pinch point that the loggers helped create when they were pulling the trees out. But that's all underwater right now from all the rain we've had. And the deer, they're walking through that – wet swamp and they will as pressure increases but right now there weren't very many back in the eight acre woods like they normally are um so i got in there and my wind's blowing back towards my access back towards kind of my jeep straight west really um and you know nothing going on nothing going on nothing going on all of a sudden you start seeing deer 
Um, so I, on the north side of my property, there's a lot of good bedding to the neighbor, a huge automala thicket. Does are in there. That's where my doe died last year. And they're just popping out of there one after another. And here comes that spike or fork again, chasing the does around. I mean, he's dogging them like it's the rut. It's hilarious. And it's cool to see. You know, this is what, that's why we do this stuff. And Entertaining. Yeah, I mean, I've hunted a lot of years before I saw anything like that. And now these deer feel comfortable being here on this small property when there were dogs running through it three days before because my neighbor doesn't chain up his dogs. And they're comfortable because they have the security covered by. They can hop out of the way and hide from a predator or from whomever. So then they, so they're coming out. Um, it's kind of getting hard to see across the property now. Like I said, it's all grown up now. And, you know, it's, I had a doe stink out behind me. And then it's starting to get pretty dark. And I have this nice, probably two-year-old A-point um, come from myself. And, again, the rain had ended, you know, early Saturday morning. I knew some scrapes were about to turn on. Some were getting hit earlier that week. The weather, the wind was decent. And uh, I have this trail camera history from years past of this weekend being good. It was so warm, though. I was just, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. This little eight-point comes out, works down the edge of that eight-acre woods where it meets the higher ground. And he's downwind to me, and I think he smelled my boots a little bit. He smelled something, whether it was my boots or a brush or a branch or something. But early in the season, he didn't pay it much mind. He walked by it. We came in, hit the little food plot I had. I put a killer food plot. Um, I sprayed a bunch of reed canary grass right by the edge of the the swamp and just threw brassicas in it. And the killer food plots, Carnage Brassicas, Nick's blend, it's one of my favorites. It makes, it makes me look like a rock star when I plant that every year. It's just an awesome blend. And they came up great. We've had a lot of rain. So he comes into there, starts eating around, milling, heads up into my main destination food where, you know, I first mowed down five years ago. And uh, he's up there sparring with another buck at like 80 yards. I'm like, what's that noise? And I look over there and they're sparring. I'm like, no freaking way. This is, that's this that's is so awesome. fun. That's so, that keeps you on your toes and keeps you alert. And oh, yeah. You know, excited, it's, you know? Yeah. it's really cool. And I know a lot of guys in other areas of the world who are listening to the show are probably like, yeah, buddy, we see that all the time. Well, 15 acres in Michigan, you don't see that all the time. And um, and I, it was just really cool. And I was, you know, happy to see that. And, like, this was a good night. I think I saw, like, I don't know, nine or ten that night total. And, uh it's getting dark. That moon's high in the air. I'm like, oh, that's always a good sign, I think. I don't I don't know the moon as well as others, but I'm like, I'm pretty sure in my simple mind that the deer think it's darker out than it is or they think it's nighttime or whatever it triggers in their eyes. I, I don't even know, but I thought that was an indicator as well. I'm like, oh, that's the lucky indicator there. Well, I'm sitting there and starting to get low on camera light. I'm filming that eight-point spar, and and uh, it's starting to get low and low. And that camera's not that great, so you lose light kind of quick. 
and then I, I'm just sitting there. I'm like, all right, any moment. It's either it's either now or never. And I hear some footsteps through the grass from myself, from my north, and from my west. All kind of at the same time. I'm like, oh, my gosh, what is going on? Deer everywhere. I'm going to be stuck in this tree for an hour. Who knows? And some might have been deer. Some might have been a raccoon. Some, who knows? Um, but the one that came in first was the buck. And he was coming from north to south. I'm facing the tree in my saddle. I'm facing north, and I'm right-handed. So I can shoot to my left. I shoot to my north a little bit. Shoot to my south if I turn around, but I can't really get to my my east very well. Hopefully, I'm I'm describing this right. Um, west wind blowing across me, and and he's coming from north to south, wind in his nose, right into the food plot. It starts eating on the brassicas. So I spin all the way around in my saddle, stand on the platform against the tree, like a tree stand almost. And and grab my bow and I look and I can see him down there and he stopped and I froze and then he took a couple more bites and went right up to that mock scrape and he starts rubbing his antlers in it and just sniffing them and so I so I drew back and it's kind of awkward because the saddle you're supposed to be set up to shoot the opposite way I'm shooting what they call my weak side at this time but I spun all the way around on this little tiny platform. And I got it, and there were these there were these branches because I haven't trimmed it since last year. These maple branches that were covering the scrape a little bit, but there were pockets in them. There's, I figured it out this morning when I hunted there. There's one branch I need to cut, and I'll take all three of them down. Um, and I could see him right there. I'm like, all right, all right. So I drew back. I got on him, huge body, and he's quartering away from me pretty hard. So if, if you're looking at at a deer, he's, you know, his, his rear end's at, you know, 7 o'clock. His antlers were at 1 o'clock type thing, um, you know, in that scrape. So I settled my, my pin. I got my peep. It was getting tough to see my peep. And uh, my peep's pretty small. And, and I got on him, and I, I settled, and I, I let it fly. And um, I hit the gap in the branches perfect, and I heard, you know, a whack, and he takes off running from my 9 o'clock position out to my 12 o'clock position. What was kind of interesting, and and I told you this already when I called you that night, um, the sound of that, you know, broadhead hitting that deer was not like the crack that you normally hear. Uh, right. yep, yep. If you're up in the shoulder, up in the lungs, the diaphragm popping, all that. It was more of a muffled, I thought I gut shot him. That's, that was my initial thought. And I haven't gut shot a lot of deer, so I've liver shot about 100 deer, but I've, I haven't gut shot very many deer. So I don't really, I'm like, man, that sounded bad. And then he, you know, the Luminoc and, and the arrow, and I had that afflictor fixed blade on there, blew right through him into the dirt. 
bright as, you know, the greens glowing on the, on the Luminoc, and he runs out, and he's standing there. And he walks in slowly from my 12 o'clock to, like, my, my 1 o'clock, standing there broadside. And I'm like, well, he's not falling over, so maybe I did gut shoot him. I, you know, I, I'm not positive. I felt good, but hard quartering shot, like, that's always decent when you have the, you know, from front to back, you cover a lot more ground. Um, but you don't always get both lungs, blah, blah, blah. You guys all already know that. Well, and your mind, your mind isn't really racing at this point either, right? <laughs> I mean, you're just I am kind, kind of calm, right. kind of calm, kind of getting that next arrow out and yeah, exactly right. Yeah, I know. Okay. Exactly. I I tend to get pretty excited and uh, and yeah, so I'm I'm pretty much blacking out in my head <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, to be completely honest with y'all and and so he he ended up standing there broadside for like three four seconds. I'm like, oh shit, grab another arrow, doofus. What are you doing? So I've never I've never got a second shot on a deer with a bow and arrow unless I spined it before. I've done that on a doe. Um, so I, I, I grabbed my arrow, I'm fumbling, fumbling to get this thing knocked, and he's looking kind of, what's that, you know, looking around, and he didn't look up, but so he starts to vacate slowly, slow walk, and I put another one in him, and, uh, I hit him back there, and, uh, you know, not the best shot, but I had a second, I had a second one in him, and, um, that one stuck in him. It didn't pass through. And he ran from my, maybe like my 1 o'clock over to like my 2, 2.30, 3 o'clock. So now he's like 180 degrees from where I shot him. And I can see him. I can see the knock. And I'm like, all right, dude, go down. Go down. You got two holes in you. Let's go. And uh, he lays down. I'm like, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Awesome. This is this is great. And I can see his rack turning left and right. I'm like, holy moly, this guy's nice. Um, got the binos on him. I'm watching him. Tails flickering. I'm like, oh, that's kind of interesting. He's not fall. He's not laying down. He's not fall, or he's not falling over or expiring yet. Looks looks, looks kind of comfortable laying there. Yeah, he's just like this. You know what's going on? Take a break for a minute. I'm like, well, that's not good. So then I'm still thinking, like, my first shot's terrible, and my second shot's not that great. And, like, oh, man, you know, he's right there, though. He's, like, he's like 50 yards, 60 yards. I can see, I can watch the whole thing. And it's getting darker and darker and darker at this. You know, it's just, this is so far probably, I don't know, two, three minutes. You know, it's just, it's it's going, I'm, my, it's going crazy inside my brain right now. And, and so he stands up, and I'm like, no, no, and my heart just sank, stomach turns, like, never want to see that. The last time I shot a big buck and he laid down and stood back up was my Iowa buck, and that's the biggest buck I've ever shot, and I lost that son of a gun. Deja vu all over again, right? And I'm going, you are kidding me, and, uh... But the first shot felt good. I, I, and I'm like, oh, what, you know, whatever. You, you guys don't know how it goes. You get, you get a little crazy. And so he walks about 10 yards, tail flicking again, head real low to the ground. You know, like he's like he's trailing a doe almost. Like his neck pretty stretched out and this and that. 
And he lays down again. I'm like, oh, that's a great sign. Now I'm happy again, right? So here's this roller coaster of emotions. Just top to bottom, top to bottom. And I can see he's a big deer. And I'm just, I'm shaking like a, like a maple leaf in that maple tree. And he lays there, and I can see him turning his head back and forth again. And, and then he's not, like, laying his head down. Like, I'm waiting for this to happen. And finally, he, he stands up again. I'm like, goodness, come on. What is going on? And, and, and this time, he stands there, stretches his head way out again, and, and then, uh, and then you know, he starts kind of breaking through some branches, and then, you know, that that green knock that I was watching with him disappears. And I'm like, oh, boy. And then the woods got quiet. It's very quiet. And um, I'm just like, I'm not moving I'm waiting for this knock to appear. I'm going to just bide my time, be quiet, and just watch this whole thing. And and I just sat there. And I sat there for two hours. And I I didn't call anybody. I, didn't, I texted my wife and said, I'm not sure when I'll be home. I shot a big buck. Um, you know, and I got the good luck and, and see you later. And I just, that was it. I sat there. And I just, you know, just, I don't know. That's got to be, that's got to be the longest, I mean, the slowest time to be sitting just to have these thoughts rambling around your head. I mean, you know, time doesn't fly in those types of situations. It's slow. And you do that for two hours, that's probably like sitting there for four hours, you know. It was absolutely terrible. And I, you know, I, I don't know if I could have done that. Um, well, he was only like the last time I saw him was like 50 yards away, and there was no more wind. There was nothing. You could have almost. I mean, it's, it's almost like you know you're anxious to go see something. Yeah. But I've done this. I've done that before. I know. I know. You know? You're, you're smart enough to know that. Don't push him. Just you know, back out of there. And he was close enough to where it was probably even difficult to back out of there ideally, you know, to make sure things were were quiet enough. But. Well, at the, yeah, at the two-hour mark, it was still loud backing out. It was, <laughs> oh right to your God. point. And and I don't mean to, like, get into the gruesome details of the story here, but I, and, and out of respect for the animal, you know, I just want to say these, these deer are so tough that it's just – I have so much respect for them. Like, people don't understand who don't hunt and chase these animals like we do. Like, I dream about this stuff every day and think about it every day. And then when you get the opportunity and you can, you know, meet the beast in the forest, like, it's it's insane. It's obviously why it's the rush. It's why we do all this. But even with, you know, a couple arrows, this thing's not going down, like, just – like a fawn, you know, with Adam's pickup earlier, like it's, it's, uh, right, right. and everybody knows that who's, who's chasing these older deer and, you know, you, you can double lung a deer and they run a hundred, 200 yards sometimes, you know, hard shooting deer, I've heard of them running over a hundred yards and I think well, that's You know, one, one thing you, one thing you had mentioned that, you know, he laid down the first time then when he got up and I don't remember if it was the second time that you were looking at him he was reaching back 
kept trying to reach back and, and, you know, relieving himself of that second arrow and, you know, made several attempts and was unsuccessful at it. But, you know, they're fully aware when they got a sliver stuck in them, uh, you know. Or when a horse fly bites them or whatever, yeah. Do whatever they can to, you know, to remedy the situation for themselves and, you know, whether it's plugging up where where you're bleeding or laying on it or whatever they, you know, whatever they're doing, it's pretty remarkable. It really is. Yeah, and, and there's a guy I heard about it from our. We have a listener named Rob who listens. Um, gonna have him on the show. He he has a friend who who studies this stuff pretty pretty heavily, and how he, you know he was giving me a little bit of a clue on the discussion about how a single lung deer. It takes like six or eight hours for that that the deer's body to like forget about the first lung and you know abandon it and then move on. So like if you give that deer time, he'll be okay. Where if you keep pushing him, well like like Jordan's buck we talked about way back when. Like if you keep pushing the deer, they'll bleed out and, and you'll find him versus letting him lay like like my Iowa deer. Like he laid down and he stopped bleeding after that and he got up and walked away. Right, and right. I'm like, so it's just, I don't know, I just want to just cover that these things are just magnificent and it's insane yep. how tough they are and God made them very, very strong. The will to live, that's what I always say, is uh, extremely impressive. Um, so, yeah, I, I sat there for, for two hours, got down, snuck out, drove home, called you, and I uh, said, you know, I feel pretty good. I didn't see him or anything move after that. I had some deer come by and whatnot um, while I was sitting there in the dark, and and uh, they were pretty close to him, and, and nothing happened. and So I felt pretty good. But you never know. And with that first shot, me not knowing about that first shot, I didn't know. So the safe thing to do is back out most of the time. So next morning I wake up, and you called me. You're like, hey, I'm coming down. I'm like, no shit. Okay. Let me ask you this. Did did you have any problem getting up that next morning? Not at all. <laughs> I didn't either. <laughs> not at all. I'm I'm not the best morning person. I stay up like like my free time as a father of three and and, and you know, my free time is after bedtime. Correct. So I normally stay up fairly late and work on the podcast and everything else and and then, you know, get up with the kids and and do that whole thing. So that morning it was like, let's roll, let's roll. And you're like, I'll meet you there. I'm like, this is awesome. Cool. Hope I don't disappoint you because it's a long drive for you. It's a long drive for me. And hopefully we have some good news at the end of this, this, uh, venture we're on, I guess. And, and sure enough, um, we met at McDonald's, had a coffee, drove over there and, I uh, gave you the camera and said, dad, follow me. I'm going to sneak in like, we're hunting. Like, I'm not going to go – and this is just a lesson for, for anybody who might be finding themselves in a situation like this. It's always better to act like the worst-case scenario, in my opinion, versus going their guns blazing. Um, I've done that in the past many times, and maybe it screwed me up. Maybe it hasn't. I'm not – you know, you never know. But I think it behooves us to to sneak in, you know – be a predator still, don't alert everything, and that's what we did, right? We oh, that, that's, a very, that's a very good point, and, 
You know, it's like you can drive the quad all the way back there. You can hoot and holler and this and that. We didn't do any of that. Right, right. No, it's all about staying on your game. You know. Yeah. Staying on your game and and kind of doing what you know and taking nothing for granted. Yeah, I mean, you know how tough they are. So I I was ready for the worst and. uh I had the dog tracker on standby just in case, but um, I felt pretty good about it. And I just – I texted him every now and then about things where you're unsure of the shot, and he's seen so many arrows and tracked so many deer that those guys were a wealth of knowledge. Um, but he's like, go take a look. Let me know. So I slid in. Uh, you were right behind me, and he didn't, he didn't go anywhere. He was laying there right where he went down – after the crashing the night before. And when you think about it, hindsight 2020, the knock disappeared. I saw him go down. I should have just walked over there. But hindsight's 2020, like, I didn't know that. So I'm just overly cautious on big deer. Uh, I think every situation you're going to have that same dilemma. Probably, yeah. Do I go or do I not go? And what are you risking by not going? Well, coyotes. I mean, coyotes could even bump them, you know. Yeah, Um, they they do. They do that. Right, right. Or just, you know, eat the back end out of them. But you don't know. And I think it's just a gut check, you know. You're just making your own call and, you know, live by your decisions, I guess. So. Right. And they didn't find him. Uh, we did first, and he is magnificent. Um, you got the whole recovery right there on camera, so I'll put that on our, our YouTube and Instagram and all that. Well, that's the bad part of being all of a sudden a uh, volunteer cameraman <laughs> that I really didn't volunteer for. What, you weren't that. impressed with how you did? Well, I I wasn't shaking too bad and didn't make too much noise, but, you know, I was holding back and I'm thinking, okay, if I were a cameraman, okay, keep the whole thing in the frame. Don't cut his head off, you know. There you go. Uh, get, get Jared, get the whole way, get get it all. So when he walked up on the buck, he threw his arms up, excited. And I'm still hanging back 15 yards. I haven't seen a dang thing yet, you know. So I'm going, okay, hold your composure, work in, okay, you're the cameraman, come on in. Try to do it right. Well, I wanted to see that dog on deer, you know. So uh, <laughs> I had to wait that extra, extra two minutes, but uh, no, it was really cool. It was great. It was great. Yeah, he's uh, he was something. The body, the body was just amazing, and I, yeah. you know, I could see it was a good rack. Um, but obviously, the next day, walking up on him was there was no ground shrinkage at all. Beautiful right. main mainframe eight point. Split G2 on the one side. Um, for those that that care about score, I pretty I really don't. But we scored him anyways. He's about 130 inch eight point with a split. So for Michigan on on 15 acres, he uh, he made me happy, and he dressed at about 200 pounds, right right in there somewhere. We we were at the the butcher, they didn't have a scale, so I drove my own scale back there the next day. And I, I had to know. I had to know. I've done that before where I dropped a buck off. Like, how much did you weigh? Oh, I don't know. I never asked. I like, no, I had to know how much you weighed. Yeah, that was more yeah. important to me than anything else, really. 
Um, you know what's really crazy? Um, I have not killed a lot of three, three-and-a-half-year-old bucks in Michigan. I think I've only killed one, as a matter of fact. And the year that I did that, uh, when I compared that deer to the two-and-a-half-year-olds, it's just incredible the size difference that that you know that deer gains so much in that third year it's incredible you know what they put on and uh the weight and the size and the the body length and the whole nine yards it's it's really cool so if you haven't done that yet or haven't got there yet i think uh it took me a while but i finally learned to recognize a three and a half year old on foot versus what i'm accustomed to seeing it's it's awesome. You know, it's really cool. It's really cool. No, thank you. I'm just, I'm, I'm very blessed. You know, I put in a lot of, a lot of hours out there, a lot of time out there, passed a lot of bucks out there. Um, and, and I think that what, I think what I'm learning from this is your habitat has to have time to mature, right? We all want stuff done yesterday or immediate results. Well, cover doesn't just grow in a year. Most right. of the time, right. timber stand improvement improvement doesn't regenerate and give you early successional growth ten foot high in a year, especially if it's wet. So there's all these things that I'm starting to realize that uh, you know, and, and I, we talk about this stuff all the time. But when you're when you're out at someplace every day, you don't see it grow as fast as if you're you know come back once a year. Right. Right. Not exactly. And to your point right there, um, I didn't really get invited down just to roam around and, hey, let's, let me show you what I've done down here because it's not what you do, you know. So, you know, after we found this buck and we got out, we're looking around. Um, you showed me the mock scrapes, the scrape you shot them out of, and the other three or four or five right in a line probably within 30, within 30 yards of each other and the whole way in and the whole way out you're kind of pointing at look at that look at that just the scrape activity was incredible and you know that's just a testament to the fact that they're comfortable in there you know they have a good time in there so um that was really neat uh really neat to see that and then you know I'm, i'm hearing because i listen to all the podcasts all the time um you know i'm hearing Everybody talk about their spin on, you know, habitat improvement and, again, you know, um, some of the different things that they've done. And to see that and see the changes that you made and kind of how it forced the deer in a particular direction and, and, and gave you good cover, you know, coming in and coming out and, you know, how your how your food plots were tore up and how you had good stuff still coming up for later in the year um you know today i you know i was thinking about this today i'm thinking well you know you hunted and you had the scrape activity you're seeing on your cameras once in a while i think you've got so much going on there right now it's almost going to make it difficult because of all the scrape activity to, to try to time this thing try to figure it out you know but i guess all you worry about that yeah. No. Yeah. And 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 thank you for that. I I I I know what you're saying. It's 
it's interesting, like, the screening, the scrapes, like, everything seemed to peak this year, finally, in terms of timing and growth and, and structure um, and me learning and access and, and everything else where, where you know, Corey came out to help us as well because you and I couldn't get that sucker on the back of the quad by ourselves. No. no. We, I mean, I, I exercise. You're, you haven't stopped moving since you were a kid. You, you're in shape. Like we couldn't get that thing on the quad. Yeah, we didn't. And, we didn't got him back there. We wanted to bring him up to the front yeah, of the property. To yeah, they probably so. two hundred and forty or so. Right about then, two thirty. Yeah, who knows? And yeah, and, Corey, yeah. and even Corey, I've shown Corey the property one other time. I think maybe two years ago, and he was just blown away. He's like, dude, and he's supposed to be on this podcast tonight, but he uh, he might have thrown an arrow at something. And he was like, uh, he was like, uh, this habitat looks sweet back here, back in the eight acre woods where it's, you know, it's more of an oak savanna effect. And maybe I gotta take some more video and show the listeners, or maybe I gotta host a, a tour or something where I can get the get the the results across better. But I mean, I see this stuff every day. I do it every year. So like right, to me, right. I'm like, it looks the same as it did last week and the week before. Well, you know what I what I kind of realized is, you know, you pointed a couple of things out to me, and you know what was interesting to me is that deer are kind of, if they have their way, kind of lazy creatures, and and you know you put this wall up, oh, the board basically, yeah, yeah, but they would basically instead of trying to bust through it, maybe if they busted through it three or four times, they'd never never have to walk around again, but instead they walk you know, 15 yards out of their way, 20 yards out of their way to go up around the end and come back down the other side, and it's great screening, and, you know, they've adapted to it, and um, it's like putting them on a string almost and, and, and kind of getting them to do what you hoped they would, you know, just simply by the fact that, you know, you kind of followed your plan and, and kind of put it together, and it came together and matured, and um, you're seeing it, you know. You're, you're, you're seeing you're seeing the results of it, and uh, it's just it's I don't know. It's intriguing to me. It's it's intriguing to me. Well, what's most interesting now? I got him back. Um, we have pictures on on Facebook and Instagram. A couple here and there. We're gonna keep showing pictures. Uh, I'm just super proud of this deer. On on the 15 and had a lot of listeners reach out and congratulate me. So thank you for all, um, whom have done that. And, and I just really, really blessed, you know, God made it happen. Um, I think Nick Percy, you know, shot that deer in a killer food plot, uh, you know, seven days after Nick passed away. Yeah. Kind of, kind of crazy. Um, yeah. Well, there's more. There's more to that than just us. Correct. We're simple human beings down here, you know. There's bigger equations. So. Yeah, and 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 not only that, I've had. Um, I mean, I sent you a bunch of pictures. I sent our buddy Matt Zoll a bunch of pictures. Uh, Corey, I have two, three, four more bucks that have moved in that are around, um, that are as big or or bigger or similar to that buck, uh, showing up more than one 
two times. Like, I like, know, those pictures you sent me are great. And and normally people don't talk about this till the season's over because they're worried about whatever, but I don't care. I'm already on cloud nine. And, and these deer are just – so, I so like, the habitat maturing thing, right, is, is kind of what I'm getting back to again. Something about when the plan – and we do these land plans for these clients, and – Things are gonna suck for a year or two or three, like because you're you're planting switchgrass. Well, that's finicky. That takes forever. You're having the timber companies come in. Well, there's a big mess. Like there's all these things that seem like they're two steps, you know, back um, or one step back, two steps forward. However, that saying goes is how one it actually step is. Forward, two steps back. Well, yeah, forward, yeah. Back, yeah, that's how it goes. Uh, but I think it seems like two steps back. And you're really once it all flushes in and and gets the growth you need, the apple trees are producing, you know, everything. Your, your switchgrass trees are are five, six foot tall now above a deer. You know, once it gets to that point, that's when everything starts coming together. And that's what's really cool for me to to experience. Uh, I am I am just blessed and jacked beyond belief right now especially with these other deer showing up after this one's done it's like oh my gosh so it is you know it is the premium habitat in the area it is what you thought you created it is everything that you worked for so it's really you know not to, i'm not trying to be braggadocious at all because i'm not like that i'm just i am pumped i am extremely jacked and you know i owe it all to you know people who supported us people you know, all the all the guests who came on, who we learned from, of course, uh, the listeners for keeping this thing going, and and you know guys like you and and Corey, my friends, my family, and it's just I'm just jacked. I'm I'm freaking jacked. I'm so jacked. <laughs> well, you should be. You should be. You know, I I think one of the biggest things that I was impressed by, um, not only your habitat, but the mock scrapes and the mock scrape activity just blows my mind that you can you can do what you did and they're getting hit as hard as they're getting hit um you know again what jim lombardi talked about it's pretty simple stupid really as far as you know a, a small investment to get a big return because they're everywhere and you know so i you know, to me it's just it's how many did you count you think well, just on the areas that we were that we were traveling in, and we didn't wander too far off the trail. Probably at least a dozen. I mean, at least I mean, good sized big scrapes, and uh, you know, you'd see three or four or five of them in a line. And you know, uh, the other interesting thing about the podcast with Jim Lombardi, one forty nine point five, he's talking about one of those bucks taking ownership of one of those scrapes. Um, well, how do you get in and get out of there when you have big bucks like that camping out all day, you know? And I, I sent you a text earlier, like, you may have to just go in there midday hunting the whole time, you know, hunting the whole time, walking in and trying to get to where you want to get, because you don't know. But it just seems like such a, so simple, just simple. It really, it's very, everything's very simple simplicity when it comes right down to it from the standpoint of kind of what you're doing to your property to give you the results for these intense, insanely smart 
animals, you know, that have the senses of, of gosh, I mean, incredible senses, you know. So yeah, yep, yep. I, I think I think I think positioning those scrapes. Not to go down a huge scrape tangent, exactly, but p- where those scrapes are is also what's important. And and like you can set a scrape up anywhere, but to get a hit in daylight is is the trick. True. Um, and that's what we, you know, that's kind of what we try to help with with some of our clients and whatnot. But I think that what I did, what I, so you mentioned that this morning, I blew out a buck on my way in. I had uh, daylight pictures yesterday morning, so I said I'm going in this morning. It's operating again, and I had a new buck I've never seen before, big eight point, in that same scrape I shot that buck in, and, and that was at 4 a.m. Well, I had a different nine point, I'm try, or no, it was ten point I'm trying to kill. He was there three days ago at like 7.45, so I was in there this morning at like 6. 6.15, up that tree. Like, I was like, I'm going to get in an hour before he gets here at least. Hopefully catch him coming back to bed somewhere. Because what we didn't mention, you that buck that I shot laid down the second time, he laid down in a, in a buck bed. Right, yep, yep. You found that. Yep. Found he laid down, pretty. and that was, a, that was a bur oak top. That was a top that we left in the logging. And there was a matted six-foot area that he was laying in, flattened. He didn't just do that that night after I shot him. Right. That was flattened. It's been used. It's been used. And that other buck, I think, took over that bed when he, after I shot him. So that's the buck I was going after. Well, this new buck shows up, and I have to walk by this little automile thicket to get to my stand. And he was, he was bedded in that thicket already at 6.15 this morning, and I blew him out. I think it was him. I didn't see him. It's dark. But he was scraping in that scrape two hours before that. And then big deer, they don't blow when they spook. They just run away quietly and slide out like they were never there. And that's exactly what he did. But the, but the thuds when he was hitting the ground as he was running were impactful. So uh, I was like, son of a biscuit, I just screwed up one of the deer. Um I don't normally hunt my place in the morning because it's more of an evening spot, but now it's like I got one down. I'm going to try some new stuff and see. And Anywho, that's what we were talking about there. But um, I wanted to get back to where we're gutting that, that buck I shot finally. The first shot ended up being true. It came in high and back on his right side up towards the spine, but, but – uh, probably three, four inches down on him, but back, and exited out right behind his left front shoulder. Ended up hitting, I saw one lung that was hit well, and then the arteries coming out of the top of the heart, those were those were severed yep. halfway. Yep. Um, and his cavity was full of blood. Yep. So I didn't need to take the second shot, probably, but... Hindsight's twenty twenty. I didn't know that, and uh, it worked out. So it's just it's just good to you know learn after the fact. On this deer was shot in the aorta and was standing there, and then starting to walk away, and then pretty much said, "I'm not done yet." 
see you bye. Like no, exactly. Believe you know, these bucks, two hundred pound deer, just taking a couple arrows and continuing onward. These guys are so tough; it's crazy. Well, I think I think uh, you know you can try to get educated on what you should do and what you should maybe not do, and but I think it all comes comes back around to you know your own file in your own head after so many hunts and and after harvesting a few deer and a few experiences and I'm sure all those thoughts and ideas are going to you know bounce around in there and you're going to come up with a conclusion that based on my knowledge that I have right now this this is what I need to do you know I shoot man you had you know you had two hours to think about that that's it's a long time you know but I'm sure a lot of a lot of educated things were going through your mind when you finally made your decision to, you know, to go home. So, yeah, I just I'm I'm extremely happy. He's a beautiful buck. He's going on my wall, and uh, lots of meat for the family. Um, and Dad, I just want to thank you for driving. You know, how long of a drive is that from home to there? Uh, it, it was it was I don't know probably two hours, hour and forty five. You know, you punch in a certain route or in your or a certain address in your phone, and can send you all over the place. I I got home a lot quicker than I got down there. I, okay. If we weren't meeting at McDonald's, it probably would have brought me there a little bit different route. Okay. Oh, uh, okay. Not too far off, but um, but yeah, a couple hours. So yeah, no, it's shoot, man, it's 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 worth it. It's <laughs> pretty cool stuff. You can do it or not do it, and uh, you know. And if you can actually pull it off and do it, it's, it goes a long way. It creates some great memories and some great experiences. And you know, fortunately, I was in a position where I could come down and participate. So no, it's great. It's great. Well, yeah, I want to thank you um, for sure. I want to thank you know you for taking my phone calls and and. Uh, well, you called me at 10.30. I was already in bed, believe uh, it or Sunday not. Sunday night. Because I knew I had to get up early for something. I didn't quite know what yet, but, you know. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I thank Corey for, for coming down. He's a good buddy of mine. He, he, yeah. He's all about everybody else, which is uh, very cool. And uh, Yeah, he needs, to, he needs to put his muck boots in his vehicle, his truck, and <laughs> down next time. He, 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 did, he didn't quite out. look like. Like he belonged out in the woods that day, you know. But, <laughs> but no, he that was awesome that he came out there for sure, for sure. Well, and and that's it. I mean, our our next stop is uh, we're going up to the new seventy acre family property to do uh, rifle camp here, and well, yeah. shoot, two and a half yeah. weeks. So that will be interesting. We're gonna have I'm, our our work. Co- I don't know. I, so my my kind of just prequel is, prequel is uh you know low expectation um there's no real reason for the deer to be there unless there's some native browse or some cover but like for the most part that woods hasn't been touched for years so it needs some help but we're gonna do this as kind of a scouting scouting mission um, we got some buddies coming up um. I'll spread out and document what we learn, and and then uh, 
Yeah, I'm going to need you up there with a chainsaw here real soon, buddy. Try to put a plan together, right? Yeah, I already got one, but what yeah, it's, uh, yeah, we're going to need we need to open up that canopy. So uh, get ready to buckle up. Uh, I appreciate your help, but there's more in the future if uh, if you don't don't mind. No, you bet, you bet. One one last thought I was kind of thinking about, not so much on that subject, but you know we had talked about at the very beginning kind of what we've learned and who we've learned from and sure. and you know what kind of shaped kind of what we do. It's gonna be very interesting kind of what your audience does when they're raising their kids and educating them. I just cannot imagine you know, some of the details that are gonna be discussed, um, you know, which is gonna be just off the charts compared to what you know how i grew up and it's really cool it's really awesome and uh it's kind of nice to to start bringing these young individuals back into it and you know with a good sense of uh opportunity and responsibility and knowledge and it's really awesome man it's a good deal you know yeah there's i can clue you in a little bit um a lot of our audience is uh, fully capable and are complete killers already. So I know uh, I, I talk and hear from and to a lot of them. Um, yeah, they're, they're just – they're a ton of knowledgeable Habitat nerds out there just like me who already got it figured out on their own places. And, uh, you know, we're learning things as we go. But, yeah, you're right. Like, Compared to their kids, their kids their I'm kids, talking about yeah, are going to be are going to be <laughs> on a whole nother level. Yeah, you bet, you bet. Great. Well, Dad, thank you very much for hopping on, man. I appreciate it. Always good catching up with you, and um, thank you once again. You're welcome. It was fun. It was fun, and we'll have to uh, do it again sometime. This won't be your last one. I can promise you that. All right, man. Thank All you. Right. Love you. Have a good night. Love you too, buddy. See ya. Thank you so much, listeners, for coming and listening once again to the Habitat Podcast. We really appreciate it. If you could, please do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. If you type out something nice, I will send you a free Habitat Podcast decal. If you haven't been to our website, habitatpodcast.com. We have our Habitat property consultation services on there under the land plan tab. Check out our HP land plans there. We also have hats, t-shirts, and decals up at habitatpodcast.com. Of course, all of our podcast episodes. And then we have a new Habitat Podcast journal where you can learn about deer anatomy and some cool thoughts, um, you know, more of a blog post from us every now and then. We'd really love it if you went over to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, found the Habitat Podcast, and please subscribe. That really helps us. And thank you very much to our sponsors. I'd like to thank Exodus Trail Cameras, The Squirrel at NutPlanter.com, Packer Max Cultipackers, Afflictor Broadheads, Killer Food Plots, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Realtree United Country Land Pro, Lake States Realty and Auction. 
and Morse Nursery. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in once again. Get back with us soon. We're going to have another great episode for you as we become better habitat managers. <laughs> <laughs>